Hey friends, welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I am grateful and honored that you've chosen to tune in today. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. Today's episode is brought to you by a free resource called Six Simple Steps to Clear Communication. I created this resource for marriages, but these practical, counselor-approved strategies for communication can be used in any relationship. To download this one-page communication sheet, head to rachelgilbert.com forward slash marriage. I interviewed today's guest on the day after election day, which you might know, anxiety was high for everyone, myself included, and today's guest book. Finding Quiet, My Journey to Peace in an Anxious World is the exact message that we all need right now. Jamie Grace is a two-time Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, and actress. She was diagnosed with Tourette Syndrome, OCD, ADHD, and anxiety at a young age. Jamie actively advocates for joy, wellness, and mental health through the lens of music, film, and faith. She's the author of the new book that I just mentioned, Finding Quiet, where she shares her journey and story, and she's an entertainer at heart. She regularly creates fresh content, including new music and weekly videos and episodes of her podcast, The Jamie Grace Podcast. When she isn't touring, Jamie lives in Southern California with her husband, Aaron, and daughter, Isabella Brave. I cannot wait for you all to meet Jamie, so let's jump into that conversation right now. Well, hello, Jamie, and welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Yay, I'm excited to talk to you. We have all kinds of stuff to talk about, but before we jump in, one thing I love to do with my guest, as I read your beautiful bio in the introduction, which was beautiful, by the way, but I like to ask you, what's a fun fact about you that I didn't read on your bio that people may not know? Oh, man, I am a total foodie. I mean, I love everything from the healthiest kale salad to the heartiest like bowl of like mac and cheese. I just I love food so much and I have very strong opinions about food. It's just okay. my favorite thing. <laughs> so, so you're not a discriminator when it comes to food. Are there, is there any foods at all that you're just like, no, I'm not. Go- I can't do it. It's <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. I actually have a lot that I don't like. It's just the stuff that I do like. I just love it hardcore. Like I will sit here and talk about kale for like three hours. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't eat sugar. That's one that people usually feel find weird because I just think it tastes like Robitussin. Um, so <laughs> I don't like cookies and cake and stuff like that. I think it's gross. Okay, so when you say you don't eat sugar, do you do any sugar replacements like honey or any th- that kind of stuff? Or is it just sugar across the board, period? Um. No, I mean, sometimes like I love to bake. So sometimes like if I see, you know, like if I have a cake or if I see that someone, you know, worked really hard to bake something, I'll taste it. And after a few bites, I'm like, oh, that's good. But once you kind of like really get into sugary foods and you st- I start to taste that sugar flavor, I don't know why it tastes like cough medicine to me. And I'm just like, I can't do anymore. I did three bites of this cake and then I'll just go get some cheese and I'll just move on. <laughs> 
I need you to pass that on to me. I need I need sugar to taste like cough syrup. Can we please make that happen? That would be great. It, it comes it comes with an obsession with potatoes. Like I feel like I feel like it. You know, we all have our vices, so don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, I love that. Okay, that was a fun fact. Yeah, I mean, maybe people don't know that about you. I love that. All right, so we are talking today about your new book that just released, Finding Quiet. I'm very very excited to talk to you about this topic. I would love to hear, I always love to hear from authors. Uh, why was it important for you to write this story? Yeah. You know, it initially started as a journal. I was just journaling through a lot of the challenges that I faced as a young adult, if you will. I'm 28 right now. So the last 10 years have been this, you know, this arc of like growing up and being independent, being on my own and all that kind of thing. So facing a lot of the same stuff that people my age face of like, oh, should I call my parents about this? Do I have to figure it out by myself? How do I have friendships? Do I need more friends? I don't need any more friends. I totally need more friends, you know, dating and college and career. I faced a lot of anxiety going through a lot of the everyday stuff that young adults go through. But then also this interesting twist of events, a turn of events rather, of being in the public eye and being known for sharing joy and encouragement and behind the scenes sometimes really struggling with where to find that joy and encouragement for myself. So I really was journaling through all of that of like, okay, I have an anxiety diagnosis, but this is not my diagnosis. This is just regular anxiety that everybody faces. And I shared it with my big sister, who I joke all the time. She's my claim to fame, the poet Morgan Harper Nichols. And so I shared it with her and she was like, this is a book. And so uh, I was like, okay, <laughs> which I get really intimidated when I sometimes talk instead of sing because my sister is like so known for her words and her depth. And I was just so intimidated at the idea of sharing my story, but my whole family was so supportive of like, look, you don't think, you know, they, they, they know that I don't think that I'm like the encourager, you know, it's like, no, but like I should share my story and I should share what I'm going through and how God is working in me through all of this. Yeah. You know, you hit on a topic there that I don't know if everybody knows it. And I'm discovering this. I, I consider myself an encourager and I have a lot of friends because I'm in this podcasting space and speaking space yeah. who would include, would say, yeah, I'm, they're an encourager. They, they, whatever yeah. they do in some way or shape or form, they are helping bring encouragement and joy and light to other people. But sometimes we struggle and People don't always know it. I don't know if you've experienced this or not. So I thought that was interesting. And I appreciate you sharing that, that you were, you know, you're doing this for other people, but then internally you're kind of going, but wait, what about me? You know, and I think that regardless yeah. of your, you don't have to be on a platform or stage of any kind to be somebody who just in life, you're known as the encourager, um, but we mm -hmm. have to stop and take care of ourselves. So how have you, I mean, other than, you know, you said you started, this started out as a journal and, and everything. How have you, do you have any words of wisdom on that? If you're, if someone listening today is going, yeah, that's me. I feel like I'm always pouring out into other people, but then my own mental health suffers in the process. Right. I think one of the main things is being intentional about not only what you like establishing what you want and what you need, but also being intentional about speaking up, um, being very clear about it and being very intentional about the follow through. Um, I think it's it's really easy to start to feel like I don't have anybody. I don't have any support. I don't have any friends. And a lot of people 
might be in that space. So what we have to do, and sometimes this part's not fun, but what we have to do is intentionally seek out those things and intentionally seek out that time. You know, for some of us that might be okay, like your podcast, for example, it might be, hey, this is what I'm going to go listen to for this amount of time to refresh and give myself this time. But it also might be you know what, when's the last time I called my mom and asked for advice? Or when's the last time I called that one friend that said, let me know if you need anything? Or when's the last time I reached out to my small group leader at my church and said, hey, I'm actually really struggling and I need support. I need help. Um, I've been in those places where I felt like I had absolutely no one And I know that it's hard and I know it's challenging. So I don't want to negate the challenge of that. But we do have to take initiative and take action. God has never left us and he will never forsake us. And he will provide that community, that village. Like you said, it may not be a bajillion people in the form of an audience or a platform, but it could be a neighbor. It could be a friend. It could be someone else that feels alone and like they're not getting the support they need. And we have to take that awkward, difficult, challenging step to initiate and say, look, I need support. I need help. Like, I need you to pick up the kids. I need you to make dinner. I need to do that. Like, it's okay. You know, I, okay, total like confession, mom confession here. I made my daughter like a frozen dinner yesterday for dinner. And for context, I didn't have a soda until I was almost in high school. So I am very strict when it comes to her diet. Like I'm always, if when we buy meat, I'm like, okay, I want the leaner option. You know, my husband's a fitness trainer. Like we are just, we're pretty intentional when it comes to her diet. And all I could think about last night when I made her this meal was all the moms on Instagram. If I posted this, how much they were going to be judging me. But in that moment, I was like, you know what? My daughter is fed. I'm not stressing out. I chose the option that took care of my child. You know, it that might seem like, well, making your kid a meal that is quicker than, you know, uh, going out and getting the chicken from the backyard. Like that doesn't, that's not self-care. Uh, yeah, it is bruh. Because that hour and a half that I was going to spend on dinner, I would have gotten stressed. I would have been fussing. My husband was late for work. It was election night. Like that, that's a lot. So it's sometimes it's just like getting rid of that guilt and shame of asking for help, whether you're asking from a friend or a frozen dinner, like, it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. So did you post the picture on Instagram of the frozen dinner? <laughs> I didn't, but I sure did FaceTime my mom and I was like, mom, this feels so good. She was like, good. Like, good. which is so funny. Cause my mom is so like, my mom's like a total health net, you know, like, like that's just not like, I did not eat a frozen dinner until college. Like that's just, that's just how we are. And I'm not judging anybody else. Like that's just how we are. But it was just really cool to even hear that from my mom, like that she didn't guilt trip me. She was like, first of all, I'm proud of you. Second of all, just bring the baby over here next time. And I was like, man, that's just good to know that I have that support. Yeah. I can totally relate to what you're talking about here because my husband's a chiropractor. We're very, some would consider us quite crunchy. And, um, you know, I'm in grad school right now and I just started my internship in my life. It Let's just be real for a second. It's 
every day is filled with something and I have to be very intentional with things. And I remember when I first started my internship, the Lord really put on my heart, Rachel, you're going to have to step away from the, you know, made from scratch two hour meals, like you said. And I did, I think for the first time I introduced my kids to frozen lasagna. And of course they thought it was amazing. The best thing they'd ever eaten. And I'm like, "Uh Oh, I don't know how I feel about this, but um, yeah. So whoever's listening today, if you need to make a frozen meal or do something that just, you know, lets yourself off the hook, it's no judgment zone here. Um, I'm Southern. So like I have literally have three crock pots. Like I take cooking very seriously in this house. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. So let's jump into your mental health um, diagnosis as you were diagnosed as a child with some things. Can you share about that? Yeah. So when I was 11 years old, uh, I was diagnosed with anxiety, which, you know, is the the launching pad for a lot of my overthinking and overanalyzing, um, but also Tourette syndrome, which is a tick disorder. And so I make movements and sounds I can't control called ticks. And then most people with Tourette syndrome have some form of OCD or ADHD, which I have as well, which is obsessive compulsions and then attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So, um, you know, I like to call myself greedy. I just went to the doctor and I was like, hey, load it up. And I, I started having those symptoms when I was nine. It was about a two year journey to getting my diagnosis. And then from there, it was another four and four to four and a half year journey of uh, medication on and off of just trying to find some kind of way to balance everything and deal with everything. My, my ticks, you know, you and I are doing this via video and it's not quite obvious that I have Tourette syndrome, at least I don't think. Um, but you know, it's not a full frame video. So like my leg has been bouncing since I started talking. Um, I talk with my hands a lot because it helps me to kind of, uh, have bookends to my ticks that I do with my arms because it helps me to focus. Um, I don't do a lot of eye contact because sometimes because of my um, OCD and ADHD, I get really distracted. Sometimes if I look at people, I'll, like literally, like, if I look at you right now, I'm like, oh my goodness, like her, her sweater's so pretty and it totally matches her eyes. And oh, look, we have the same microphone. Like I literally, I get caught up in like every little detail. So all these little patterns and things and rhythms that I've developed to kind of cope as an adult. Um, But as a child, I mean, it was like insanely difficult. You know, my tics were, my physical tics were so out of control that I could barely walk because my legs were just constantly twitching. I was falling over. I had some physically harmful tics. So I would punch myself in the stomach. I was throwing my head uh, down like forcefully. So my neck was always getting strained. If I was in the grocery store with my family, I would always knock everything over. So we decided eventually that I couldn't go in stores. And I mean, I could have, but it was just so stressful for me. Light, I was sensitive to light, so I would have to wear glasses everywhere I went. We'd have to take pillows in the car because my ticks would get out of control and I would hit my head on the window. So eventually my parents were like, look, we want you to go out, but if it's too hard for you, you can stay home today. So it just, it sent me into this isolation and this period in which I was just falling apart, to be honest with you. I was falling apart emotionally, physically, medically, um, spiritually as well. I'm a pastor's kid. So like, you know, I was one of those, like, I grew up on a lot of like Bill Gaither. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but I was one of those like four years old singing Southern gospel solos at church, you know? So I, I struggled spiritually. I struggled socially. I had a few friends, but Um, that still wasn't something that most kids were prepared to deal with. So it's honestly God's grace that I am the woman that I am and my family. (laughs) 
Um, but uh, yeah, ages nine to 15 were honestly the most defining moments for me of just trying to figure out where is God in all of this? Where is peace in all of this? And who am I in all of this? Yeah, I can. Re- I am a pastor's daughter as well. So I would love to talk about how did this, so I would assume then you grew up in a faith-filled Christian home. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk for a second, because this is a hot topic, on <laughs> mental health diagnoses and the faith community <laughs> and the yeah. confusing words that can sometimes be spoken over us whenever we get these diagnoses and right. yeah, whatever you want to share on that topic. How much time do we I, have? Right. I don't know, but no. <laughs> I am a total open book. So, um, I, I want to make sure, um, that I acknowledge and I, I, especially when people ask me about my upbringing, when it comes to, uh, church and faith, I want to make sure that I acknowledge the privilege that I come from. I feel like my parents accidentally sheltered me until I got to high school, college, mostly college, I didn't know a lot about how like a lot of people have been negatively damaged by purity culture, even though I saved sex till marriage and my husband and I intend to encourage our daughter to, to do the same, you know? Um, and also like, I didn't realize that there were people out here until high school. I did not know that people like judged people's faith by their medical story. Like, I just didn't know that kind of stuff because of the privilege I come from. My mom and dad had a very balanced and healthy perspective on a lot of the hot topics in the church, if you will. I'd never heard my my dad utter the name of a political figure from the pulpit unless it was directly followed by that person's opponent. Like, you know, if he was like, whether you vote for this person or this person, you know, like I would hear him talk about it at home, but never like even in the church parking lot. So I just, I was so unaware of some of the drama (laughs) that happens in the church. But with that being said, being the pastor's daughter, I still felt, I felt this pressure to be good enough for the church members. You know, I felt this pressure to not make my parents look bad, even though they never put that on me. A lot of it was just the the community that we were in. You know, my parents were missionary pastors. And so uh, it was in a small town in Georgia. And so most of the people that came to our church were first time believers, um, oftentimes coming from really challenging situations of, of criminal history and, and poverty backgrounds and um, abusive situations. And so they were first time believers and or new believers at, in their adulthood and I mean, we saw like all these in, incredible testimonies happen overnight, right? And so it's like now here I am with this diagnosis, and I'm like, oh, I've seen, I've seen what God can do. Like that guy just got out of prison for 20 years, and he led worship last week, you know. Or like this girl told her testimony of how she had been abused, and now she's, you know, leading leading a Bible study group. Like that God, that's what God does. He does miracles, and so I kind of anticipated that for me. And then it didn't happen after I prayed about it. And I just remember like that was one of the biggest things for me is just this constant, constant praying for this miracle to happen because I saw all these incredible testimonies come to fruition, but like never really getting that for myself. And so that was really challenging. I I, I had a lot of times where I tried to just kind of pretend to be happy when I wasn't pretend to be joyful when I wasn't um, just pretend to be better 
when I wasn't just because I wanted to make our church like members happy. I would hold my ticks back so that they wouldn't think that there was anything wrong with the pastor's family, you know, and then when I would get home, I would just have to let it all out and it would just be even worse. So that was really challenging. And then as I got older, I've definitely faced more like pastors and church leaders you know, saying things like, oh, well, if you loved the Lord, then you wouldn't have your mental health problems. Or if you would just pray more, you wouldn't have this diagnosis. And, you know, my thing is like, look, (laughs) the God I serve doesn't tell me everything that's going on. So I'm not going to act like he does. (laughs) Also, the God I serve has promised me heaven. And I know that that is going to be a place of absolute perfection and no more crying and no more pain, no more division, no more violence, no more crime. Like I know that heaven is going to be amazing. And I know that God heals people and fixes things because I see him do it on earth, like all the time, you know, but I also know that sometimes those things are what we will receive healing from and freedom, like total freedom in heaven. And so I just say, okay, God, how can you use my story while I'm on earth so that I can empower and encourage other people, even if it's not the exact outcome that I wanted? Like, again, the God I serve, like, (laughs) doesn't just say, hey, Jamie, what do you want today? (laughs) (laughs) Because if it was what do you want, it would be like, okay, I would like to eat mac and cheese all day, every day and never gain a pound. Like, that's just like, that's what I want. But but that's not that's not how life works. And so I've definitely I've cried about that. I've grieved over that. I've had a lot of moments that weren't great about that. But yeah, I just. I I hear I do still hear it a lot, you know, especially even with the book coming out, like the DMs on Instagram. It's like, well, how can you be a Christian and have mental health issues? I'm like, you know what? How can a 10 year old who loves Jesus get diagnosed with cancer? Like that has nothing to do with their faith. You know what I mean? Like bad things happen. We live in a broken world and it's up to us to just trust the Lord through the process and ultimately look forward to heaven. Yeah. Hey, if you get any more of those DMs, send them my way. I'll I'll, I'll go toe to toe with them if you want, because that's something that really gets me worked up. I'm so, I um because mental health is a spectrum. That's what I wish more people knew. We all have mental health issues, but right. it's on a spectrum, you know. And so uh, that's why the Bible has so much to say about renewing our mind and you know taking our thoughts yeah. captive and all this stuff. Because God knew, oh hey, that's going to be a thing for all my kids, you know. And so um, He's given us tools to to do that. And you know, I would say whenever you had so much wisdom there, but. Whenever I, as a believer, you know, grew up in a, a Christian home myself and just like you sheltered so much and, and you know, um, in a good way. But at the same time, now that I've started my um, doing therapy with real life clients sitting across from me and I deal with a lot of anxiety and suicide and depression and different things. Um, mm. And it has been a very humbling experience for me. I feel like mm. the Lord has used seeing real life people talk about their their mental health and their different things to strip away pride off my heart, strip away um, judging, strip away, like, you know, and just hear the person. And I kind of wish more of us would just listen to people and love them where they're at and not always have an answer, you know, not always sit here and go, well, let me try to fix you or let me try to teach you or let me, you know, just be there for people. Uh, So I'm curious, do you have any, before we move on from this question, do you have any things that people have said 
that were super harmful or maybe were super helpful to you um, that, you know, people listening today could go, oh, okay, that's good to know. And again, every person's different. So just because it was helpful or harmful to you doesn't mean it will be to the next person, but maybe it could get the wheels in our head turning a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think one of the most beneficial questions, it's such a simple question, but I think the work comes after the question. Both my my husband asks me this frequently. And then I actually just got off the phone with one of my best friends. Her name is Lydia. We were just talking this morning. The question, is there anything I can do? That sounds like a big question. And again, it might not work for everybody, like you said. But that's something for me that works. And I'll tell you the context in which it works. So something that I have struggled with is panic attacks. And even if I hadn't struggled with panic attacks, a lot of people just get stressed out and worked up and overwhelmed. So in those moments, like, please don't try to calm me down. Cause I saying to like, you know, someone like, Hey, you should calm down or, Oh, is this a panic attack? Well, what does your therapist say you should do right now? Like that's not helpful. But, um, there are times where when things are absolutely calm, you know, my husband and I will just do like mental health check-ins to be like, Hey, how was your therapy this week? Anything you want to talk about? Is there anything I can do? And so I'll just kind of say to him, you know what, this week I need help with this or this week I need help with that. Or uh, I have a lot of stuff to do on Saturday. Is there next Saturday? Is there any way that you could move your work schedule around? And I know that these might just seem like regular husband wife conversations. But so I do think they're important in regular husband wife conversations. Um, But we try to have them specifically about mental health things because there are times when it's needed. Like I have no shame in saying this, but right now, like I am on medication because of postpartum depression and it's been so helpful. I mean, it has changed my life and um, I changed the time in which I took it because you have to like take it at the same time. And so a couple of weeks ago, when I think my sister had just checked in and she was just like, Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing little sis? Are you feeling stressed? How, how's life? And I sent a text to my group, my, my group text, to my family. And I just said, Hey, I would love some accountability. I need to take my medicine at this time. Can y'all all just like split up and take a day this week to remind me. And that's because every couple of days, my husband says, is there anything I can do? Every couple of weeks, one of my family members says, is there anything I can do? And every couple of months, my friend Lydia checks in and says, is there anything I can do? Which is what we did this morning. And so it's just knowing that they've already asked that question. Sometimes I'll say, no, there's nothing. And they respect that. Um, But sometimes I'll come to them and say, hey, remember when you asked me a few days or a few weeks ago, is there anything you could do? Well, I thought of something. This is what you could do. And so that question has really helped in my marriage, my relationship with my family, Uh, And a lot of my friendships, but my friend Lydia, I I mentioned her because she literally was like the first person physically at our house after we had the baby. And so (laughs) she was one of the first friends to witness what I looked like as a different person. And so um, it's helpful to have her. Yeah. I love how practical that is. And I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on for people who sometimes people will ask, what can I do? But the individual, you know, in this case yourself, maybe if you feel so overwhelmed, you're not even sure what you Mm -hmm. need. So do you have tips on helping yourself figure out what it is that you need? Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing is, is like when you're having a good moment, when you're feeling really calm, when you're feeling really joyful, start asking yourself why. 
you know, get to the root of it so that when you are feeling the opposite of that, you can be like, okay, well, how can I recreate what I had before? You know, something for me, I mean, this seems really simple and practical, but just personally, I'm, I get thirsty all the time. I've just, ever since I was a kid, I've just always wanted water. And so I bought myself this like massive water bottle. And sometimes when I'm stressed out, like I'll just start going through the list of basic physical needs of like, let's drink some water. Let's go to the bathroom. Let me get some food. Let me step outside. Let me take a five minute nap or a 10 minute nap. You know, even like with the election season going on right now, sometimes like we might be watching the news, like just really anxious, really stressed out. Like, okay, set a timer on your phone for five minutes and go sit on the porch. It might not be the thing you need it, but just start with really simple things that, you know, make you feel nice. Looking at the sky, (laughs) drinking some water like that's I start as practical as I can, as simple as I can and just kind of work my way up from there. Yeah. Okay. And then you mentioned in there the word joy, and I know you're a big advocate for joy. And in fact, whenever I was praying over our episode, the word joy is just what I heard over it. And I have personally Mm -hmm. felt just joy in my heart talking to you. And I find that interesting because we're we're talking about a hard topic, you know, and to me, that just is a beautiful picture of the joy of the Lord, right? That we can do hard things, but actually feel joy in it. And like, that's just so cool to me. You know, I'll never wrap my brain around that, but it's just Mm -hmm. the supernatural power of the Lord. So I would love to know how um, you can encourage others that, that they can find joy in the midst of these really hard things in their life. Man, we have to learn how to allow pain and joy to coexist. You know, <laughs> just let's let's just be real right now. My house, actually, no, half of our house is a little messy right now. <laughs> I was about to be like, my house is a mess. But then I was like, wait, my husband stayed up so late last night and like totally surprised me and everything looks amazing. Anyways, so like our we have a loft area and it's it was supposed to be my library but we have a one a one and a half year old. So it's a playroom and a um, <laughs> she has a drum set in there now. I don't know how I went from being my library to her drum studio, but OK. Anyways, what I will say is that for a few weeks I have a um, we FaceTime with my daughter's godmother regularly. And when I was FaceTiming her, I was always apologizing. I was like, I'm sorry, the loft is kind of a mess. Like, I'm sorry, there's toys everywhere. Like, I'm so sorry, because I just like felt like I had to apologize for the house being a mess. But I actually saw this lady on TikTok (laughs) who changed my life. And she was like, how about instead of saying, I'm sorry, my house is a mess. How about you say, my daughter has been having so much fun playing. Yes. (laughs) Just switching that language has brought me so much joy and has allowed me to even further my ability to embrace the joy in the midst of the pain. Um, and, and, and I know that's obviously a much lighter topic because it's not is as deep as, as what we're going. But a lot of times we see everything in our lives as this attack. We see everything in our lives or a lot of things, at least in our lives as, as pain and as things that are getting us down. And it's, we have to learn how to see the bright side in them. Now, again, this is not a, conversation of dirt so this is not like old food left over and like there's rats running around and I'm like yay we're getting new neighbors they're called rats but not like that but it's just choosing to to find the joy in those things and so even when like for me when I am having a mental health breakdown you know when I am having a panic attack like I'm not necessarily 
singing joyful worship songs in the midst of that. But, but when it's over, when the sun rises, when my breathing has become consistent, I'm able to say, you know what? My husband stayed with me through all of that. Or you know what? I'm able to make myself a sandwich for lunch today. Even though I'm in sweatpants and I haven't opened the blinds all day and I'm a little embarrassed that my depression has taken me to this place, I made myself a sandwich and I find joy in that because that's a big deal. And so it's a, being okay with pain and joy coexisting. God is not a God of, of, of perfect people on earth. That's not, that's not how he works. Um, and so just embracing the challenges that we have in our life and seeing how God can bring us joy even in that. Amen. Okay, we are coming to the end of our conversation. I want to take a slight pivot because there was a chapter in your book that I was really drawn to, and the title is called Friends, Frenemies, and Forced Quiet. And I just have to hop on here just for a second. Look, we only have a few minutes left, so I don't know how well we'll do this in a couple minutes because this really, this chapter could have been the entire episode, and I'm aware of that. But I have to read a quote that was in your book. I think I actually just shared it on Instagram too. It says, I don't have to know the reason why someone doesn't pursue a friendship with me. I just have to acknowledge that maybe she's not going to be my friend and that's okay. Okay, I feel like the relationship, (laughs) friendship, frenemies thing steals a lot of people's joy since we were just talking about joy. We'll segue it that way. Right. Do you want to speak to this just for a minute? Because I did notice one thing throughout our conversation. You mentioned you're a good friend of yours name several times. And I think that is something that so many of us want to have, right? Like that friend that we know is just there at all times through the good, the bad, the ugly, and all the in between. So do you want to speak to that topic of friendship just for a minute or two before we hop off here? I know that's a big... Yeah, definitely. No, you're fine. Definitely. Um, You know, friendship is something that I've always struggled with. You know, I I talk a lot in the book about my borderline obsession with my big sister, Morgan. Um, But I I talk about her so much. Uh, But I also talk about in the book about friends that I had that weren't really that good of friends, but I thought that they were. And just I've had a lot of interesting dynamics when it comes to friendships and friendship breakups and even uh, friendship repair and recovery and all those things. And that specific quote that you read came out of the desire that I had to be friends with someone that I mean, this person had stood me up for lunch a couple times. Like it was just not working out. Um, and it that situation, it, it came to the point where I had to, where I had to acknowledge she's not a bad person. Like she might be making terrible choices when it comes to like honoring my time. Okay, sure. But like none of us are perfect, but like, she's not a bad person. She just doesn't want to be my friend. And maybe she just doesn't have the maturity to say it. Maybe she doesn't have the emotional intelligence to say it. Maybe she's kind of being a mean girl and doesn't want to say it because she wants to just lead me on. I don't know what the reason is, but I don't have time to be figuring out everybody else's brain. Like, I don't have time to be figuring out what, what everybody else is doing. I, I have stuff to do. I have I have a life to live. I have bills to pay. I'm I'm busy. I have food to eat. Like, I have movies to watch. I don't have time in my life to sit around wondering, why don't you want to be friends with me? Why aren't you interested in hanging out? Why didn't you invite me in the wedding? And And this is, I only know this stuff because I have spent so much of my time with this stuff. I've spent so much of my time wondering, why didn't this person have me as a bridesmaid? Why did I only get invited? Or, you know, why did I 
not getting invited on that girl's trip? Why am I not hanging out with them? Why am I not one of their couple's friends? Why don't they want to have play dates with me and my kid? What's going on? You know, I've spent so much of my time wondering. And the, the fact is, is that we can't be friends with everybody in the world. And we can't always know why we're not friends with those people. Sometimes we're only going to be friends with someone for a season. Sometimes they're in our lives for a moment and they're gone the next. That doesn't make them a bad person. That just means that it wasn't God's timing. It's just like God did his thing and now we move on. In the same way with dating relationships, you know, I was chronically single before I married my husband. I was like a super virgin when we got married. And I... I, I always tell people, I'm like, people are like, oh, you went out on a couple of dates with this guy and then he didn't want to go out anymore. Like, did you get your feelings hurt? Sometimes. But I would just be like, I don't want to date somebody that doesn't like me. So I'm good. Like this is it's all good. You know, again, this is coming from a place of like I've healed through a lot of these things. I've, I've paid a lot of money for a lot of therapy. So I don't want it, people to think like, oh, all you have to do is blink and you're OK with not having those friends. But that is something that I really wanted to touch on in the book, because finding quiet is not about taking all the noise away. It's about learning how to have peace, even in the midst of confusion and apathy and complexities and a lot, a lot of noise. It's about learning how to have peace in the midst of that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you spoke to that um, last topic of friendship because, you know, you're about eight years younger than me. And I feel like I just started to learn that a few years ago of uh, there's so much time, energy, emotional turmoil lost over, like you said, wishing we'd be invited to certain parties, wishing we could yeah. be a part of certain circles. And then I, I noticed, I started to, to find with myself that then I was missing the people God did put in my life <laughs> because I was so busy yeah. looking over at the people that I was wishing I could get invited to and, and all that. Right. And so thank you for thank speaking you. to that and just speaking truth over of that release there. Well, we're we're done for today, but I would love to just give you one final chance. Is there anything else you would love for people to know about you or the book or any in final encouraging words? Um, no, this was so awesome. I mean, thank you for for chatting with me. When I saw that you tagged me on Instagram, um, I got excited that you that you tagged the friendship chapter because I think that that's something that we don't talk about a lot. And I know that conversations, especially of like toxic friendships and toxic relationships, those are really popular as they should be because those conversations have their place. But sometimes humans grow apart and sometimes humans just never grow together. And that's OK as well. And I think the more we can have just those healthy conversations about the different work that God is doing in each of our lives, even if we don't know all of those details, just trusting God's process through it all. So. So, yeah, thank you so much for uh, for wanting to share on that. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. And you guys listening, be sure to get a copy of her book, Finding Quiet. They can get that wherever books are sold, right? Yep. Amazon, yep. all that stuff. Yep. And then do you hang out mainly on Instagram online? Is that where they can connect there? I do. Yeah. Jamie Grace H. But, you know, I, I grew up on the Internet. So YouTube, TikTok, I'm every all those places. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jamie Grace, thank you again for taking time to come on and I'll chat with you later. Of course. Thank you. Didn't you love Jamie's personality and also her insight on this topic of anxiety and mental health? Be sure to grab a copy of her book, Finding Quiet. And don't forget to enter for the giveaways of these guest books. All you have to do is text the phrase Real Talk Giveaway to the number 44222 right there on your cell phone. Or you can sign up directly on my website at rachelgilbert.com. 
All right, friends, that's all for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real, living free, and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.